Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bizarre Junkies podcast. I'm your host, as always, Austin Alvarez. I am so thankful for you because by the time you're listening to this, it's Christmas. So Merry Christmas. Uh, you know who I wanted to uh, bring on for Christmas was Miguel. You guys don't really know who Miguel is, but Miguel is extremely integral to this show. Hey, I'm glad to be on. Thanks for having you're me. You're too humble. You're, you're too <laughs> humble. Miguel is uh, in charge of helping us with our sponsorships, which uh, we have one. I'm waiting for them to give us the code, but it's really cool. I can't wait for you guys to hear about it. Um, but he's helping us get sponsors. He's also, I would pretty much call you our social media manager. If I'm being completely honest here. I mean, I appreciate it. I'm, <laughs> I've been trying to post as much as I can, get as much content out there for sure. Yes. So if you're seeing a lot of these short clips, a lot of, yeah, I mean, I still post, it's still my show. I'm still going to post, but uh, it is Miguel that's helping us a ton. He is integral to this show. I'm not even kidding you. So Miguel, this is your first time on the show though. How does it feel? Uh, it feels good. First time, like really being on a show. So, um, have you never? You know? You've worked here for. You've interned here for like six months now, and you've never been on a show. No, I mean I've talked a little bit, um, but never actually talked more than like, "Hey, my name's Miguel." Damn. All right. Well, we're popping your podcast cherry today, I guess. Jeez. Um, so today I wanted to do another deep dive, uh, episode or a little brief history episode. And so we're going to be talking about the diet law of pass incident. Now, Miguel, I don't think you know anything about this. I have no clue what that is. you you were telling me before the show and I'm like, I'm completely blank. Uh, so this was a, a, a accident that occurred in 1959 in Russia in the Ural mountains. So it's it's pretty creepy. They think that they figured it out now, but there's still a lot of like unanswered questions. But we'll go ahead and get into it. Uh, I am going to go ahead and give you the brief history about the Diet Law of Pass incident. So the Diet Law of Pass incident is a mysterious and tragic event that occurred in the northern Ural Mountains of the Soviet Union, which is now Russia, in 1959. The incident involves the deaths of nine experienced hikers under circumstances that remain unexplained to this day. The hikers were led by Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural uh, Polytechnical Institute. So these weren't, weren't just any random people. So in late January 1959, a group of 10 hikers set out on a trek to uh, Otorden Mountain. Granted, this is a lot of uh, Russian words, so, so bear with me, please. Uh, they went out on a trek to Otorden Mountain in the northern Ural Mountains. This group was compromised of eight men and two women all of whom were experienced hikers and ski enthusiasts. The leader, Igor Dyatlov, had planned the expedition as part of his requirements for a grade three certification in hiking. So I think in, to be a certified grade three, you have to like, you're not an amateur when it comes to hiking at this point. Like, I think it's safe to say that. So the group began their journey on January 27th, 1959, and everything seemed normal during the initial days of the expedition. However, on the third day, Yuri Yudin, one of the hikers, fell ill and decided to turn back. The remaining nine continued their ascent. When the group failed to return as scheduled, a search operation was launched. On February 26, 1959, rescuers discovered the hikers' abandoned camp on Kolat uh, Sikil, a mountain in the northern Urals. The tent was found to be torn open from the inside, and the hikers' belongings, including warm clothes and shoes, were left behind. As the search continued, the bodies of the hikers were found in a forested area near the camp, scattered in various states of undress. 
The circumstances surrounding their deaths were perplexing. Some had severe injuries, including skull fractures and chest injuries, despite no external signs of a struggle. One hiker was missing her tongue and others showed signs of radiation exposure. Soviet investigators conducted an official inquiry into the incident, but the case was closed with the official cause of death listed as a compelling natural force. The vague conclusion and lack of satisfactory explanation fueled numerous conspiracy theories and speculations. Some theories suggested a Yeti attack, military involvement, or secret weapons testing. Others proposed natural phenomena like infrasound or an avalanche. To this day, the Dyatlov Pass incident remains one of the most enduring mysteries in the realm of unsolved mysteries. Theories continue to circulate and various investigations have been conducted, including independent ones. In 2019, Russian authorities reopened the case for a new inquiry, but as of my last knowledge uh, in this update in January 2022, no definitive explanation has been provided. So, where does that leave us? So, there was a military exercise going on, I believe, a couple miles away from where these people were hiking. They reported strange lights in the sky directly in that area. And now, unless it was a foreign military force working in that area, it wasn't one of them. So this was all, and it was occurring on the same night that they had all went up for the hike. So as the way I understand it is they were going up and they were getting to a point where, hey, this really bad storm's coming in. We should probably hunker down here or we would have to basically sprint up the mountain to get over to the other side of the pass. They decided to just go for it, but not, they just, they, they went like too late. So they got caught right in the middle of it, like in the most open exposed area on this cliff side or this mountainside. Once they were there, they realized, holy shit, like this is really bad. So they tried to set up their tents to try to shield them, but their tents obviously offered little to no protection. So what the cuts from the inside of the tents look like is like their knife opening it, opening it up basically just like as an emergency way of like, let's get the hell out of here the clothes being gone makes me think hypothermia because you get to a point where your brain goes into a state where you're like i'm too hot now and you start shedding and it's like right before you die you start shedding all your clothes um what wasn't really explained well um initially was that the bodies were found up in the trees like up in there so something to their to their credit with the main explanation is that an avalanche you gain tons of feet of snow it could have rolled them right into the trees possible i was thinking even like if something was chasing them they climbed up there for trying to get to safety yeah um I do. I, I found a picture of all of the people on. Yeah, if, if you're going to pull it up. Yeah, go ahead and pull that up. So this is the. Uh, these are all the victims, right? Yeah, this should have been everyone that was out um, for that. Uh, what was? Would you say it was like a uh, hiking, skiing trip? It was a. It was a uh, level three requirement. It was an expedition as part of his requirements for grade three certification in hiking. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, that to me is the strangest part, like being found up in the tree. I mean, I guess an avalanche, but when did they actually find the bodies? Like In February. Okay. Does Russia, like, does the snow melt that quickly out there? Well, Isn't it no, supposed no, to be really cold? I mean, they could probably see, like, other oh, snowfall, but the snow would rise anyways just from regular snowfall. 
So, but I mean, okay. So, I mean, maybe we can solve this. Maybe Miguel and I can solve this while we're here. So I would say it's probably safe to assume a avalanche because avalanches can be massive. But is that what happened? If they were, they had various different injuries that I don't think avalanches would cause your tongue to be removed. Yeah, that's true. I, you know what? I didn't even think about that. I'm thinking the tree. Let's look it up. Let's look but it yeah, up. tongue being removed, that's pretty wild. Can an avalanche cause your tongue to fall out? Here's another shot of them like heading up as well, so you can kind of get an idea of the area that they were yeah. going. Okay, so here's a here's a uh, I'm it's called Hacker News, uh, but it's it's a it's a source I'm reading, uh, and this guy said um, a small delayed avalanche may have been responsible for the diet law incident, and then this guy responded with I watched uh, Lemino's mini documentary on the subject. You can only recommend it. He spent a month going through the Russian original evidence and is surprised why it is still considered an unsolved mystery. Some takeaways that I remember. They had a self-made wood-fired uh, oven in the tent, which had already burned one of the hikers a couple of days before, documented in a picture, and could have malfunctioned, leading to the burn marks uh, and them having to abandon the tent, including slashing it open. That is valid. Radioactivity. Both hikers that had traces worked previously in a nuclear facility. Okay, so they could have been pre-contaminated. Missing organs. Exactly, exactly what you would expect from scavenging animals. Missing clothes. Exactly what you would expect when dying from hypothermia. Bodily injuries, suspected avalanche. Glowing orange spheres, this is what I was talking about, the lights. Possibly space debris, a meteor, or nuclear testing. In any case, no immediate connection to the accident. Uh, and then another comment had said, and alcohol. There is precious little inquiry as to how much alcohol was present at the campsite. Some of the strange behaviors make more sense if one is open to the possibility that some people may have been drunk. Uh, according to the Wikipedia, there were no drugs present, and the only alcohol was a small flask of medical uh, medicinal alcohol found intact at the scene. The group had even sworn off cigarettes for the expedition. Damn, that, you know how in the 50s, they, people were hooked. Um, so there's an actual scientific paper from nature.com. Oh, I didn't want to do that. Let's go back here. Now, the space debris thing in the 50s... I mean, is there really, was there that much space debris up there? To no, cause? because yeah. we really hadn't been up. We didn't get to the moon till 69. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. Ten what, years later, we got to the moon. What space debris could have possibly They could been have up had there? aeronautical debris. Oh, that's true. Because planes back then were not, <laughs> were not held up very well. Uh, so mechanisms of slab avalanche release and impact in the Diet Love Pass incident in 1959. Uh, so this is from nature.com. So if you want to see that, this is the, this says, uh, the dialogue past incident is an intriguing unsolved mystery for the last century. In February, uh, 1959, they were found, uh, snow avalanche hypothesis was pr proposed among under other theories, but was found to be inconsistent with the evidence of a lower than usual slope angle, scarcity of avalanche signs, uncertainties about the trigger mechanism and abnormal injuries of the victims. The challenge of explaining these observations has led us to a physical mechanism for a slab avalanche caused by progressive wind-blown snow accumulation to the slope above the hiker's tent. Here we show how a combination of irregular topography, a cut made in the slope uh, to install the tent, and the subsequent deposition of snow induced by strong 
catabatic winds contributed after suitable time to the slab release, which caused severe non-fatal injuries in agreement with the autopsy results. Ooh, this is, uh, I'm going to send you this so you can pull it up on screen. Yeah, I was just trying to find that, actually. Uh, it's called, um, mechan- uh, I would say, it's nature.com mechanisms of slab avalanche. Just look up that. That should probably pull it up. But that's that's interesting because they, nothing ever really talks about the slope of the mountain. Um, I've never I've only been in snow occasionally. I live in Las Vegas. We don't really have snow here. We we did get uh you know snowed in in two thousand and eight with a half an inch of snow. Actually, how much snow was that? That was a lot. Of, it was more snow than we used. How much snowfall in Las Vegas two thousand eight? Oh oh no, excuse me. Um. Eight to ten inches. We had almost a foot of snow here in Las Vegas. We were not equipped to handle it. I remember everyone was like doing donuts in my street. Did, like, were you here when yeah, that yeah. happened? Okay. Yeah, I happened to like, I was born here, but I moved away. Right. And then I came back and it happened to snow just when I came here. And you were like, that time. Like, Where did you move to? Uh, I lived up in Washington. Uh, oh, so you were used to seasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I remember playing in the snow and um, we didn't have fucking gloves because... When does it ever fucking snow here? And I was playing with it. And so I would play, we would play a snowball fight. And then 30 seconds later, we'd all go inside and like run our hands under hot water. It's probably not healthy for you, but um, were you able to find it? I'm trying to pull it up here. I'm not, is that exactly what you searched mechanism? No, or? I found it in a, I just had a direct link to it. Gotcha. Um, So, yeah, so they have a pretty good diagram on here when you do find it. You know, um, oh, did you find it? I'm looking for it right now. I, I pulled up nature.com, but. Yeah, and see. it's by John, uh, J- Johan and then Alexander M. Pures, uh, Pusrin. So if you just look up P-U-Z-R-I-N, it might come up. This is interesting. This is an interesting show type. We're doing active research. I mean, I did a little bit of research or a good amount on this beforehand, um, but now we're we're citing even more articles. Maybe if you add Alexander in front of that, it'll narrow it down. I think I just found it. Mechanism. Yeah. So if you scroll down, yeah. So keep scrolling. There's like an article, or yeah. Then you can see the 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 actual. Let's go ahead and pull those up. So if we're looking at figure A here. Um, so the for, uh, pictures taken at the tent location shortly before and weeks after the incident and a sketch of the slope before the incident. So A is, is um, shortly before. Then B is the weeks after. That's what the tent looked like. Now, granted, it's going to look disheveled like that because of the elements. Like it's going to sit out there for a month. It's going to get like that. So if we look at C here, you can see the tent. And supposedly they had... Um, it caused a blockage in the snow because the, the wind's not blowing it. So it had a wind slab and a weak layer and it could have caused it to collapse on said tent. Now that doesn't explain how the bodies were found up in the trees. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can see here, I mean, if that's what fell on top of them, I mean, it's the height of a tent and I'm, I'm assuming 
it's probably about the height of them at the tallest point. Yeah, so we'll we'll say six four, a little over six feet. Uh, so the right underneath that says a hey, last picture of the dialogue group taken before. Oh, so uh, this is about each one. So the first picture is the last picture of them taken before sunset while making a cut in the slope to install the tent. So they did do that. Uh, then B was the broken tent covered with snow as it was found during the search 26 days after the event. Uh, and then C is configuration of the diet law of tent installed on a flat surface after making a cut in the slope below a small shoulder. Uh, so snow uh, de- uh, deposition above the tent is due to wind transport of snow. So 26 days to three months after the tragedy, search teams found the bodies in the forest and on their way back to the tent. According to the 1959 Soviet criminal investigation, a compelling natural force led to the death of the Dyatlov group. However, the nature of this force has not been identified. The mystery arises from numerous unexplained observations. While hypothermia was determined to be the main cause of death, four hikers had severe thorax or skull injuries. Two were found with missing eyes and one without tongue. Some were almost naked and barefoot. Traces of radioactivity were found on some of their clothes and signs of glowing orange spheres floating in the sky were reported that night. So several theories have proposed to explain this incident, including infrasound-induced panic, animals, attacks by yetis or local tribesmen, catabatic winds, a snow avalanche, a romantic dispute, nuclear weapon tests, etc. So they're throwing the whole kitchen sink at this thing. Yeah, I mean, the romantic what if they? Dispute. What if the IRS was going after them, even though I don't think the IRS was the thing yet, and they were in Russia? But that's... Okay, so the original popular avalanche theory has been questioned due to several contradictory pieces of evidence. One... No obvious signs of an avalanche or debris were reported by the search team that arrived 26 days later. So that's going back to what you were saying. They would have known about it. Two, the average slope angle above the tent location was not sufficiently steep enough for an avalanche lower than 30 degrees. Um, And then three, the hypothetical avalanche released during that night at least nine hours after the cut was made in the slope. And then four, the thorax and skull injuries were not typical for avalanche victims. So this graph, I think if, if I scroll down here that you're looking at... Where is that one at? Oh, you're way down there. Uh, let's, we won't have to show that one yet. I want to keep going on with this. Nature.com is trying to get me to pay them money. So in 2015, the investigative committee of the Russian Federation reopened the investigation and in 2019 concluded that a snow avalanche was the most probable cause of the accident. The results of this investigation have been challenged recently by the Office of the Prosecutor General of the Russian Federation, who in 2019 started his own investigation and in July 2020 came to the same conclusion as the ICRF. Both investigations have not, however, disclosed scientific explanations for the four counter-arguments listed above and therefore keep being challenged by the relatives, public, and the researchers. In particular, a 2019 Swedish-Russian expedition disagreed with the ICRF conclusions, instead proposing that the direct impact of catabatic winds on the tent was the main contributing factor. So, that we're still at a loss of how do you get those injuries? it's not lining up here yeah like nothing in that really explains the tongue being cut out even uh i i kind of get it for like the eyes like sure maybe a bird swooped down and picked him yeah but i mean how many birds are flying out in the middle of like well i mean there were some wooded areas they were in a wooded area so there could have been a bird in that tree that's true i don't know russia enough as I, I've, <laughs> I've never been there, so I don't know what kind of wildlife hold, hold on, hold they on. have Wildlife native to Ural Mountains. Let's see here. Fauna. The forests of Urals are inhabited by animals typical of Euro-Siberia, such as elk, 
brown bear, fox, wolf, wolverine, lynx, squirrel, Siberian, chipmunk, flying squirrel, reindeer, and sable. The fauna of polar Ural. Okay, so let's let's see birds native too. I mean, squirrels probably could have eaten their eyes, but yeah. I mean, after you started naming all those animals, I'm like black throated, black thrower, throw added a centaur, black kite, Ural owl, and peregrine falcon. There's some stuff there. Oh yeah, that'll definitely take your eyes out for sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's keep going here. So based on the significant amount of published material, which there's a lot of cited here, I will link this down below so you can look at this as well. It seems that previous investigations lack an important ingredient, a quantifiable physical mechanism that can reconcile the avalanche hypothesis with seemingly conflicting evidence. Identifying such a mechanism may provide new insights into the nature of storm-triggered snowpack instabilities, which is another important motivation for this work. Uh, So... If you want to show um, the the like topography one, uh, it's figure two. Yeah, give me one second. You're looking here. at like fucking physics equations over there, <laughs> Jesus. I was trying to find some of uh, extra um, sources down at the bottom. So. Yeah, they have them. They have them uh, hyper hyperlinked. So this is figure two. So this is the local terrain in the Diet Law Pass reported snow dynamic friction values and typical slope angles in human triggered avalanches. That's a lot of graphs, folks. Uh, so, A, the terrain map on the Diet Love Pass indicated by the red circle, adapted based on the J- uh, JAXA Aster data from USGS Earth Explorer, NASA USGS, JAXA CC by 2.5. Blue triangle and black crosses indicate locations of the tent and the hiker's bodies, respectively. Damn, so they were far as fuck, if you look at that. Yeah, I mean... It doesn't Why give would us a they be mileage. so far from the tent? Like, did I they mean, explain that? I mean, well, the avalanche is supposed to said to have carried them all the way down there. Um, so B, figure B, or the graph B, slope angles reported for 139 accidentally triggered avalanches. C is a dynamic friction angle distribution based on Van Heuren. Uh, I'm assuming that is a measurement. Uh, green equals faceted types of crystals, depth Hoar, vaceted crystals, rounded facets, and surface hoar. Black equals new snow. Decomposed and fragmented crystals and rounded grains. Okay. Um, the the thing that sticks out to me though is just how far those bodies are. Like if you could if you could circle it with your mouse, your cursor, just like how far those bodies are from the tent. Now, it doesn't give us, okay, so they're about two, um, a half, a mile and a half. If you look at the graph, uh, the lower side of that, of that um, graph or that uh, figure, it has a measurement there. And I'm assuming that's in miles or might be kilometers because they're Russian. So uh, if we move on, so let's, uh, I want to get, this is really fascinating to me because it's like a. It's like the slope angle doesn't, it's not quite adding up here, folks. It's not quite adding. Miguel is, he's not, he's not convinced. So major arguments against the avalanche hypothesis include insufficient signs of the occurrence of an avalanche. So there's no apparent deposit or crown fracture and the relatively mild slope, 23 degrees plus or minus two degrees. uh, And that's not in temperature, that's in slope. Uh, It appears, however, that the ground surface in the vicinity of the estimated tent location was steeper, up to 30 degrees, than the average snow slope. 
Subsequent snowfalls smoothed the irregular terrain to the observed average 23 degree slope. This implies directly that the slab above the layer of depth was thinner uphill, which has three main consequences. One, it results in the average slope of the buried weak layer being about 28 degrees, increasing the uh, pro probability of slab release, which is figure 2B. In two, it reduced tensile support at the top of the slab, considerably limiting the avalanche volume. Three, it makes it more difficult to trace avalanche signs, especially 26 days after the incident. I feel that for, for so being so far from when the incident happened, they they're kind of grasping at straws with data, especially for the fifties. Like forensics was not what it is now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, what would they really had to track any of that stuff at that time? Really? Yeah, I mean, they probably had their. I mean, they had math and they had their equations and their instruments, but the complexity of the instruments was not at where it is now. Um, so while a 28 degree slope may still be perceived as being too mild to cause an avalanche based on this often quoted and implicit rule of thumb that a minimum of 30 degrees is required in reality, the critical slope angle can be as low as 20 degrees provided the dynamic friction angle, sometimes called crack face friction of the snow is sufficiently low. In fact, field measurements have shown that the dynamic friction angle of snow can be as low as 15 degrees, especially for very low temperatures. Um, did they even say how cold it was that night? Did they even... I feel like they, they didn't. Yeah, I don't know if I saw an actual temperature. I mean, I see a lot of degrees, but it's obviously for the slope angle. Yeah. So, in particular, the buried crystals of depth hoar, which were reported by the investigation on the site, uh, tend to exhibit rather low friction values. So, there wasn't a lot of friction. Uh, so, okay. So, I feel like that's a lot. It's enough for the avalanche aspect. I really want to hear what... The uh, and they go into like equations and everything, and so there's math to back up these claims. Uh, all right, well, let's go back to the initial forum that I was reading. Let's take um, a little bit more depth at to what the researchers in the public are saying. So Still no unexplained explanation, or still no explanation about the numerous unexplained observations. While hypothermia was determined to be the main cause of death, four hikers had severe thorax or skull injuries. Two were found with missing eyes and one without tongue. Some were almost naked and barefoot. Traces of radioactivity were found in some of their other clothes and signs of glowing orange spheres floating in the sky were reported that night. Uh, another person goes on to say, people taking off their clothes is common with severe hypothermia, like we said. Lacerations and blunt trauma is common with avalanche victims. Granted, in this article, it's saying that it's not enough for the severity of these injuries. The soft, detachable parts, eyes, tongue, can still be eaten by scavengers while frozen. So the only unusual part would be the radioactivity, strange lights, and what triggered the avalanche, which could all be explained by some classified military test. Uh, another person said the two people in the group with radioactive clothing worked in a nuclear facility as another contender commenter pointed out the YouTube channel. Lamino made an excellent video with research based on the primary sources. And the conclusion is unsurprisingly not aliens. When all the facts are considered, the whole incident is probably only still considered mysterious because it makes a better story. That is valid. That is a valid point. We love mystery. We love the drama of what could it be? What, what did it? What did it? Yeah. And I, I think naturally when people, are looking at these stories they want to find something that's logical to them that makes sense to them as opposed to you know 
all the math and things like that that are very hard to understand. Yeah. So uh, this person says consumption by animals would leave obvious signs on the bodies. That would be something even an amateur might deduce if the evidence was there, which that is true. I, the animals are not going to be surgical with eating you. Very true. You'd see definitely like lacerations. Lacerations, like claw marks, scratch marks, landing marks if it's a bird. Um, yeah, they're not gentle. So a somewhat detailed explanation with pictures of the injuries of each body found. The info that Dubina's tongue seems to be ha to had been removed while still allegedly alive seems a bit odd to me. So. Ooh, this one is good. So if you just look up dietlovepass.com slash death, this, this has a big thing. So we'll dive a little bit into this too. This goes into depth about the, 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 how these people passed and what had happened. Um, that one was easy to find, huh? I actually already had it pulled up. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. tremendous. <laughs> right. Okay. So bodies of Yuri and, um, there's three, two Yuri's. So bodies of, Dur of Yuri Doroshenko, Yuri, I'm going to say Yuri K, and Igor Dyatlov, and Zaneda Kolmogrova were found on February 27th, 1959, and brought to Ivdel, which I'm assuming is the local town. Autopsy was performed on March 4th by the, re March 4th by the Regional Bureau of Forensic Pathologist Boris, uh, Boris A., uh, ironically, his last name means reborn in Russia, interesting choice of the profession. And the city medical examiner uh, both did the autopsy. Medical examiners were still seeing the accident as freezing to death, although certain details were rising questions. Uh, Doroshenko had pulmonary edema and pulmonary contusion as a result of blunt trauma. Uh, Krishoshenko bit off a piece of his own knuckle to stay warm or stifle a cry and had a third degree had third degree burns that cannot be sustained if you fall asleep still alive. Dietlov was vomiting blood, and uh, Kolmogrova had a baton-shaped bruise on her waist. Still, the cause of death was the hypothermia, and nobody was suspecting foul play. Not yet. On March 5th, uh, was found the fifth body, and it was identified as Rustim uh, Slovdoin. His autopsy was performed on March 8th uh, by the, I believe, the medical examiner alone. The skull trauma he, uh, he had can't not be attributed to the clumsiness or disorientation. Somebody hit him in the head. The remaining four bodies of Lima Dubininia and Alexander Kolitev, Nikolai, these names are hard as fuck, dude, and Semyon Z were examined on May 9th, 1959. Their bodies were found by a Mansi native uh, with his dog several months after their deaths. The state of their bodies will change the course of the whole investigation. So I don't know how much of this we can show on YouTube. I'm, I think we can show this. Yeah, you want me to go ahead and pull up the... You'd pull up the first the... two pictures? Yeah. Okay. So remains of a fire old cedar with branches broken up to high, five meters high, suggesting that hikers had climbed up to look for something or to hide from someone. The clearing is facing in the direction of that tent. The branches of the cedar were scattered on the ground and partly hung on the lower branches. Nearby, the young fir and birch trees were cut with a knife to break. The cut-off tops and the knife were not found. The cuttings were not meant for burning as as drier twigs could not be found around or could be found around. It became clear that under the cedar, more than two people engaged in great effort to gather wood for protection. So this first image or these first two images are of the uh, it looks like the area that they were found, the wooded area. So the first image is this is how the first bodies were found on February 27th, 1959 under an old cedar close to a fire pit. 
The photo is made before the snow is removed. We can see the checkered shirt of one of the people facing up on the right of the photo. Uh, this photo started a legend that the two bodies were, were covered with a blanket burial style. That's creepy. The second photo is same bodies after the snow had been cleaned. Doroshenko facing down, Krovoshenko facing up. Doroshenko had burns on his foot and the right temple. Krovoshenko had burns on his left leg and left foot. On their hands were observed numerous minor injuries, bruises, and abrasions. Um, that could be attributed to climbing a tree, running away from something, something of that matter. So the third photo, the position Doroshenko's body was found does not match the liver, liver mortis uh, on his back. The bodies were laid down next to each other, uh, points to the post-mortem manipulations. The scene looks orderly. No obscene games with the corpses that killers very often leave behind. This suggests to that whoever was last in contact with the bodies felt compassion, pity, and respect towards the victims. They were not the murderers, but their friends in distress that tried to make they, but their friends in distress that tried to make their deathbed somehow less horrible. So if we go down, we can see Yuri's injuries. Uh, so you can see like he had all over his face, all over his finger, all of his fingers, I believe, were frostbitten. Yeah, so um, so one, in the hair of the deceased expert found particles of moss and pine needles. Hairs burned on the right side of the head. Number two, which is right there on the nose, ear, nose, and lips are covered with blood. Three, swollen upper lip with dark red hemorrhage. Four, right cheek, soft tissue covered with gray foam, gray liquid coming from his open mouth. Most apparent cause is pulmonary uh, edema. Number five, ear oracles in bluish red color in the right earlobe and tragus dense patches of brown red color. Six, inner surface of the right shoulder has two abrasions. Uh, two by one and a half centimeters with no bleeding in the tissues, two cuts on the skin. So this is a lot of injuries. Uh, number seven, right armpit has a bruise two and a half by one and a half centimeters. Uh, brown red bruises with sizes uh, mat, a lot of a lot of varying sizes in the upper third of the right forearm. Number nine is swelling and small abrasions in the rear and the right hand soft tissue. Number ten bruise with bleeding into the underlying soft tissue on the back of the right hand, corresponding to the second metacarpal bone. Number eleven the soft tissues of both hands and fingertips are especially dark purple. All fingers and toes are severely frostbitten. If Yuri would have survived, he would have required an amputation of all his fingers and, uh, and toes. That's terrifying to know. Um, yeah, so, I mean, if we just want to scroll through these, you can see now the next Yuri has all these injuries. A lot of the same ones, like, all over their hands. This was, like, all lower body injuries. Uh, now we can go down to Igor, which is where how they found him. Was found the same day, 300 meters from the cedar face up, head towards the tent. Above the snow were visible, only his hands clenched into fists folded in front of his chest. The unbuttoned jacket is unusual for somebody that is freezing to death. Unless they're going through hypothermia. So he had mostly on his face and his hands, a little bit on his legs. Now if we go to Zaneda, she was found 630 meters from the cedar, face down, head towards the tent. Uh, the skin of the face and hands is purple red in color. Now Rustam... Uh, he was found 480 meters from the cedar on March 5th, the day after the autopsy of the first four bodies, covered with 50 centimeters of snow. Um, so this is the one that has, like, the fractures. You can see on the skull there. Yeah, definitely you can see uh, down here at the bottom where they're highlighting where it was uh, yeah. fractured. 
So now if we move down to the den, searching efforts continue, but two months went by without a trace of the remaining four hikers. So at this point, they had found out of the nine, I think five of them. That's pretty good, like searching through buried people, like through the snow to yeah. try to find buried people. Yeah. So you can see here what I believe is the den that they built the tent up against. And then the rest of the bodies found. So, oh, so this one, um, Leod Mila had all over her face, almost like in a mask shape, and then rib uh, ribs two, three, four, and five are broken on the right side. Two fracture lines, fracture lines are visible. Uh, ribs two, three, four, five, six, seven are broken on the left side. Two fracture lines are visible. Massive hemorrhage in the heart's right atrium. Uh, bruise in the middle left thigh, size 10 centimeters by 5 centimeters, not shown on diagram. So she had a lot of torso trauma. And Semyon, same thing. A little bit on the face, but a lot of, like, all of his all of his ribs on the right side are broken, it looks like. Or I think that's the left side. Yeah, and this one specifically says eyeballs missing. So this is the one that eyeballs are missing with. Now, I wonder, too, like, if it was scavengers, why wouldn't they go for other meaty parts of the bodies? Like, why just the eyeballs? I don't know. That's a that's a great question, because it even says here, missing soft tissues around left eyebrow, size 7 centimeters by 6 centimeters, bone is exposed. So maybe they did try picking at that, and they got bone, and they were like, oh, well, this is pure meat. Now, if we go down to one more, there's Alexander uh, in... Ooh, okay. So, we may not need to show the next part because it is post-mortem, but I will look at them. Oh, okay. I guess that's... I'm clicking on that. Dialogue passes. You must be 18 plus to view this. Yeah, okay. I am 18 plus. Yeah. These are photos. Yeah, just, just looking at these, I mean, they all look... They all look pretty rough. Oh, Semyon. If you look at Semyon at the bottom, like, his eyes are gone. Like, his face is gone. That very last one. His, like, face is, is gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, it's, that's, it's gone. That is a rough one. Yeah, if we could show you guys. Yeah, that's why you got to go to dietlovepass.com. <laughs> um, yeah, that one is crazy. What is 73? Oh, it's that photo again. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, these people were not in good shape. Yeah, like you kind of don't get the full picture just looking at those diagrams with the yeah. numbers. Even with the explanations, like um, the pictures definitely... Uh, you see what they went through for sure. They definitely were picked at by animals. Like, that's for sure. Whether or not it was aliens or something like that, that's a different story. But um, that's pretty much it. I mean, so for pretty much everybody, or a lot of the authorities are saying it was an avalanche that caused it and they died from pressure from that. But it, the injuries don't quite line up. Um, Miguel, before we wrap up, do you have any, what, like, any theories or hypothesis as to what this could have been you know what I, what actually got them to the point where they ended up like this i i can't really say especially not i mean 
you know our area. The hiking is not extreme. I just at went hiking all. last weekend. Yeah. Um, and we don't really get very much snow. And I've honestly never hiked out in the mountains in the snow. No, it's fun. Um, but after seeing some of the you know post mortem pictures, I mean, it definitely kind of goes towards the scavenging of the bodies. Yeah. Um, that I don't really have too much questions about. But I mean, you know, what really happened? Who knows? Uh, it's hard to say. There's very, um, there's not a lot of compelling evidence to one thing or another, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because this is, it's pretty traumatic what happened here. But I guess, you know, I, I think we can all agree to disagree on what exactly happened. There are some things that we can agree on. Like they were definitely picked at, they were definitely victims of being scavengers excuse me um but yeah so uh, i hope you enjoyed this episode it was just a uh i really find this topic fascinating uh, i i recently just started digging into it again and i was like hold on hold on we, we got to talk about this we definitely got to talk about this so i invite you to go to dietlovepass.com look at all they have everything there um i'll link that that um article we were reading that report that thesis i guess you can call it from nature.com talking about the specifics of why the avalanche may not have happened um i want to say thank you to miguel for finally coming on the show being a huge help to the show i mean this is our last i think this is our technically our last show of the year technically we saw some reaction videos coming out but uh yeah it's been a fun ride dude yeah no i'm i'm it's been fun to help out, and I appreciate it. No, I mean, we we appreciate you way more than you appreciate us. I'm just letting you know now. The audience appreciates you. They don't even know who you are now. Well, they know now, but they didn't even know that they were blessed by the power of Miguel. Um, but so, to everybody watching, thank you so much. This has been an incredible year. We have now officially been a show for a year. Uh, we've had exponential growth. I guess we can do like a little year in review, but... Uh, we've had crazy growth. We've had viral moments. We've had fun moments. We did a we did a full fledged fucking ghost hunt. Like I didn't think we would do that. That's crazy. So we definitely have more of that in store for 2024. Um, from the Bizarre Junkies family to your families, happy holidays, whatever you celebrate, or if you don't celebrate, happy December. Um, but I hope you have a great end of your year. You have a great new year. Please consider becoming a member on either Facebook or YouTube. It's only 99 cents a month. It greatly benefits the channel. Uh, and you get extra content like the full unedited ghost hunt. You get the interviews for the ghost hunts. You get this episode early. You get the reaction episodes early before they actually come out to the public. And uh, there's some other goodies. Like I know Miguel made a really cool animated wallpaper for Wallpaper Engine of the Bizarre Junkies logo. So if you're really a diehard fan, you can get that as well. Check out our merch down below. Also, check out all of our sponsors. Thank you to everybody who has supported this show. And until next time, everybody, stay bizarre.